0: Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We'll read the first 12 verses of chapter 9. So I'm going to ask that you uh, stand as as we read God's Word together. Uh, Let's stand together. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil. In all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more sure share in all that is done under the sun go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for god has already approved what you do let your garments be always white let not Upon them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, you know, since March, we've had this cloud of COVID hanging over our heads, starting in March, churches stopped meeting together. Um, I know plenty of churches that actually still to this day aren't, and, and wondering why in the world, how in the world, some people actually are. Uh, churches in different states, different parts of the country, um, who now, what, six months in, are still not meeting together. Uh, it's affected businesses, it's affected um, work, obviously people some people working from home um it, it, but it's causing perhaps more danger to small businesses that are shutting down that that they can't continue that they don't have a way of of making money. they don't have a way of of keeping uh the business open. People are afraid to spend money because we don't know what's going to happen. we don't know what's coming later. And, and so small businesses are suffering because of it. We don't want to go out. We don't want to go shopping. We try to limit our, our interaction with the outside world as much as possible because we don't want to get COVID-19. It's affected our meeting place. And, and we're thankful to have a new, different, better, brighter place uh, today than we've had the last few months. When you think about the life you and I live, it's not easy. Life is a struggle. Life is difficult. You add to it things like moving and having to sell your house or not sell your house or job security or family dynamics or children that have wandered away from the faith or parents that need care and and. College choices and major choices, and all these things that sort of lay out in front of us that overwhelm us. And we just don't know. We don't know. The future, what does it hold? We don't know. We do know they're at least part of our future. Uh, we know as the preacher points out in this passage as we so often say the only two guarantees in life are death and taxes and we say that almost like taxes are worse it sort of reminds me of uh, an Alison Krauss song the song is called cloudy days I'm pretty sure it was written by somebody else. I know her version. There, I think, are other versions, but just to give credit where credit's due. Uh, But the song goes like this. Dark clouds hanging over me. When will they go away? Rain is in my eyes and I can't see. Life's become just cloudy days. And then the chorus, cloudy days, don't the sun ever shine anymore? Or won't the sun ever shine anymore? Stormy weather, will you always be around? When I'm down, I can't stand cloudy days. The preacher paints this picture for us in this chapter of living life under a cloud. Under a dark cloud. A a lot like... The cartoon character who despite the sun, despite the happiness of everyone around them they, there's this dark cloud with rain and it's raining only on them. You've seen that cartoon and sometimes life feels like that to you. And the preacher reminds us in this passage that there is a dark cloud hanging over us. There's this dark cloud of death. Always in the background, always out in front of us, always hanging over our heads. And his question is, how do we live this life with that cloud following us around? Where's the gain in wisdom? Where's the gain in life under the sun? Where's the gain in pleasure and toil if there's gloom and despair always on the horizon for us. The preacher reminds us that God holds the righteous and the wise and His deeds are in their, their hands. They're in the hand of God. He holds us in His hands. He holds the actions, the deeds of the righteous and the wise. And the end of all men is exactly the same. Man doesn't know, verse 1, but the end for all men, verse 2, is exactly the same. And notice the people. The same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good, the evil, the clean, the unclean, even the one who offers sacrifices in the temple and the one who doesn't offer those sacrifices you can hear the preacher going well then where's the benefit of even bothering going down to the temple to offer sacrifices you and i might think well i mean what's the point if if what la- if what's out in front of me is these dark clouds then what's the point of even going to church and it almost sounds like the preacher's saying well i mean Why bother with righteousness? Why bother with sacrifices? Why bother attending um, to the temple and and offering sacrifices for sin? Why bother going to church at all? Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are very few reasons for missing church. Being sick is probably on the list. Even on vacation, you should find a church. Go to church on vacation. The Lord's Day. Be there with God's people. No, it's not your regular church. No, it's not your regular people, but they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But the preacher seems to be asking what's the point? Where's the value? This has been his question all along, right? Where is the profit? Where's the good? Where's the, the ultimate good in life? The preacher recognizes that there is an end that comes to all men. Death comes to all. That sort of last frontier that we all have to cross, and we all have to cross alone at some point or another. One of the two guarantees in life death and taxes. But for the preacher, death is a problem. Remember, He limits His observation to the horizons. He's limiting His observation to under the sun. And death is the one thing that He can't get past. It's the one thing He can't make sense of. If if that's the end of all people, regardless of the life you live, then... What's the point? What's the value if the gain of wisdom or obedience or sacrifice is only to be found in this life? I may have told you this story. I don't know if I have or not. But there was a time uh, back when we lived in Oxford. I was doing student ministry. uh, And my Wednesday nights usually ended with Uh, taking a bunch of kids home as many kids as I could fit into uh, my uh, suburban um, and perhaps even then some Uh, and I remember having this conversation with one of them um, as we were driving home I simply asked him hey so what's your reaction what do you think about the things we're teaching on Wednesday night what's your what do you think about about the gospel and 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 Jesus and his response was basically. I mean, I think it's good and 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 I agree and and believe it. And but I'm just a teenager. I'm just kind of doing my teenager thing now, and and I'll do the church thing later when I get older. Part of his part of his implication was you know I, I can put that off I can I can do what I want now and I can come back any old time. Part of his implication is you Christians are boring and I want to have fun but I remember asking him, what makes you so sure you're going to live that long? What makes you so sure that you've got when I'm older that there is that day out in front of you? At some level, he was admitting that that living for Jesus was worth it, but it was also costly. And he didn't see the value in the cost yet. The preacher might agree with that teenager. Where's the value? Is it worth the cost? Especially if it's only worth it in this life. In fact, he calls it an evil, verse 3. It's, it's an evil that both men, the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked, uh, the good and the evil, the clean and the un- It's a, it's an evil that those two men have the same end. He's actually accusing God of being wrong, of being mean, of being wicked. It's an evil that the wicked and the good have the same end. There should be a reward for for goodness. There should be a reward for obedience. There should be a reward for sacrifice. There should be punishment for wickedness and evil in this life. And the preacher wants to know where that punishment is. In fact, he even says, look, it actually encourages people to be wicked, verse 3. I mean, if there's no benefit in being good, if there's no benefit in being righteous, then why not live for you rather than for someone else? Go ahead and embrace it and own it, and you might as well be wicked. There's evil in the heart of man anyway, and this evil only encourages it all the more. It's not a happy picture. But we've noticed that the preacher from time to time has these better than statements. He may say, well, you know, this is pointless, this is meaningless, this is vanity, this is all a waste. And then he'll kind of come back with, well, I mean, I guess it's better to have this than that. I guess it's better this than than that, and and he does that in verse four. Better to be a a living dog than a a dead lion. It's at least better for a to be a living dog than to be a, a dead lion. Now you 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 can't you can't think fluffy. This this isn't twenty first century dog. When you and I read dog, we think well. I kind of like dogs better than lions anyway. That's not what he means. Dog is a derogatory term in his language. In in Hebrew, they, they called the Gentiles dogs. So he's actually saying better to be terrible, horrible dog but alive rather than majestic, fierce, strong, powerful... King of beasts, but dead. In other words, better alive than dead, but even his view of life isn't all that great because it's a living dog. It's a, it's a derogatory ter- term. He's, he's taking a shot at th- those who are living. Yes, it's better to be alive, But it's not exactly a ringing endorsement for the living. Of course, his whole benefit in his mind is that the reason it's better. Notice, notice what he says, verse five. Here's why it's better to be living a living dog than a dead lion, because the living know that they're going to die, and the dead aren't conscious of anything. So the whole thing that makes living better than dying is consciousness. But consciousness of what? Consciousness of your death. There's a dark cloud hanging over me. When will it go away? You can hear the the doom, the gloom, the despair in His voice. How's it better to live with a a dark cloud of death hanging over your head than to already be dead and not have to worry about knowing that you're going to die? It sounds to me like if this is really what life is like, being dead would be better because then I don't have to think about the fact that I'm going to die. It's just already done and I'm not aware of anything. So what do we do? How are... How are we supposed to live according to the preacher? How are you and I supposed to live with this dark cloud of death hanging over our heads? Well, he tells us in verses seven to ten: Eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, because God's already approved that. Let your garments be white; let not oil be lacking on your head. It's a picture of of a celebration you might as well enjoy what little life you've got. And you might as well enjoy what little life you've got with good food, good wine, with the company that God gives you. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun. Because that's your portion in life. That's what little bit of reward we have. In his mind, the best that we can hope for is to enjoy good food, to enjoy good company, and to to laugh and celebrate together the few days we have on the earth. Remember, he's, he's seeking his reward in this life. He's been looking for meaning and purpose and value to life. And he keeps saying over and over again, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. This short-lived, lacks weight, it lacks meaning. And, and the best he can hope for, you'll see this word over and over and over again uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's your portion in life. It's a it's not a reward but it's part of a reward. It's it's not the great meaning of life but it's at least something. And so you might as well grab on to that. In fact the word share in verse 6 and the word portion in verse 9 are the same Hebrew word. There's no real profit, there's no real reward but there is a relative portion. There's a Something that can be enjoyed in this life, even though it'll make no difference in the life to come. Because, quite honestly, there is no life to come. You might as well enjoy the life you've been given. It may not last that long, but what else can you do with that dark cloud Hanging over your head. Enjoy your bread. Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your spouse. Your co- the company you keep. Enjoy your work. Uh, put put your hand to the plow. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mark might. Work and labor uh, as with with eagerness and joy, and find benefit there. This is. This is His hope. This is the only life you're going to live, so you might as well use it well and enjoy whatever time you're given. And and to quote the Abet brothers, if you live the life you're given, you won't be scared to die. Even if life doesn't turn out like you expected, verse 11 and 12, there's there's this... Notion that we think life should go a certain way and it doesn't always. I had a friend in high school who had his whole life planned out ahead of him. The kind of car he would drive, the kind of job he would have, what his house would look like. Uh, I think he had a boat in that list. uh, Where he would live. And in his mind, he was getting married after he had all of that other stuff. He wanted the stuff and wanted to be able to enjoy that stuff before he was tied down in marriage. That was his... Dream. His life didn't work out like that at all. Sometimes life doesn't go the way you expect. Sometimes life doesn't go the way you envisioned it. It doesn't go the way you planned it. It takes flips and turns and spins and it leaves you wondering how you got to where you are. The race isn't always to the swift. The battle isn't always to the strong. The bread doesn't always go to the wise. Sometimes life feels like riding Space Mountain, and and the best you can do is just laugh and enjoy it while you're on the ride. But, But remember, he's got a problem. His problem is he's examining life between the horizons, he's only looking under the sun. There's a part of me that that finishes this part of chapter nine and thinks, you know, I just want to crawl up under a table and just ball my eyes out. Like, what's the point of this? It's just doom, despair, and 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 heavy weight. In fact, the the clouds gotten darker and thicker and worse. He's convinced that death is the end. And if death is the last word, then you might as well enjoy this life to the best of your ability and hope for the best. Since death is the last word, and since death comes to all men, and since all men have the exact same end, then what's the point in living for God? However, The whole rest of the Bible tells us the horizons might be all we can see with our eyeballs, but they're not all that there is. The whole rest of Scripture tells us that life under the sun isn't the only life there is to be lived. In fact, we have a table set before us that reminds us that This life isn't the only life to be lived. That there actually is life already above the Son. Our flesh is actually seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ rose from the dead and descended to heaven so that you and I can anticipate a life that's yet to come beyond death. Death doesn't get the last word. There is a resurrection. Christ has been raised, the first fruits of the new life, of the new body, which you and I as His children, you and I trusting in Him for our salvation have that same hope. That's where you and I will be also. The whole rest of the Bible says the grave couldn't hold Jesus and because it couldn't hold Jesus, it can't hold us either. Both the righteous and the unrighteous will be raised again to eternity. The righteous with Christ, the unrighteous to eternal punishment in hell. This life isn't all there is. If this life is all there is, then yes eat your bread with joy, drink your wine, enjoy what time God's given you with your spouse, work, do whatever. But we know there's a life to come. And for those who trust in Christ, there's this resurrection to life to live with Christ who has already been Raised, who already sits at the right hand of the Father, who's coming back one day to bring the dead out of the ground and to take us to be with him for eternity. We aren't living for this life alone. We're living for the life to come. Christ has defeated death. Death doesn't get the last word, and he's gone to prepare a place us. The reality is for those trusting in Christ, yes, there may be times when through God's difficult providences, it feels like there are dark clouds following us everywhere we go. But remember that by faith, we see beyond the horizons. We see above the sun. And there's not a dark cloud hanging there, but there's the light of eternity shining on our faces. We live this life, not with this life in mind, but with the life to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for having... Created us, having redeemed us, as we've sung already uh, this morning. We thank you that you have prepared us for a place that is beyond uh, this life, uh, but you've prepared us for a place. You are preparing us for a place in the life to come. Would you give us the eyes of faith to see that day, that to live these days? Recognizing that there are times when life is difficult, when there are dark clouds hanging over us. But may we see beyond those dark clouds to the shining brightness of Your Son in glorious anticipation of life with Him. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.